0: It was a three bedroom house and um, original house built in the nineties. So everything had to be done, you know, like 20 years, you know, bathrooms, kitchens, it was not touched. So, and we didn't have kids at the time. So it was just the yeah, easy one. Uh, we could do it yeah, after work or, or whatever. So, and so that was the first property and we lived there till 2013 and we sold it for a profit.
1: This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Darren Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Mechanical Engineer Pramek Borek. We'll learn about growing up in the 16th century Polish town and his technical high school training. Discover how his travels across the UK led him to Australia and how he made $100,000 profit with one property in just 5 weeks. (music) Boric immigrated from Poland to Australia in 2007 with stints in Ireland and the UK in between. This is where he realized his property dream but he is still focused on his career in engineering.
0: Day-to-day, I'm, a, I'm a still a full-time employed uh, professional. I'm a mechanical engineer by, by trade. Uh, so, yeah, I've been doing that for the last 20 years about. So it, it's it's not too bad, you know, for engineering-minded people. But I always wanted to do something different too. And I think running a small business, yeah, would be definitely a thing I would like to do and probably seems to be yeah, the way to do it
1: he gives us some insight into how he got into mechanical engineering.
0: I think it started probably at high school because it's a bit different system back home and I actually went to a a technical high school, if that makes sense. So the profile was construction industry, so how I got into the construction phase and then, you know, after that, I had to pick, you know, university and, you know, because I already was in that construction profile school, I thought, yeah, maybe engineering degree would be something that I would benefit from. So I picked a a civil engineer faculty as a main um, subject. However, you know, at the end of the course, you know, I decided I want to do a little bit more in mechanical engineering, which is building services, basically. And, And that's how it all started. So, yeah, after that, I got my first job, you know, in the hospital, in the engineering team. So, yeah, you you learn a lot of things in the hospital because it's a 24-7 operational facility and everything's critical over there. So that was good for six months. And after that, yeah, we, well, I um, emigrated to Ireland. So I work for, you know, Intel over there and Pfizer, you know, so which is, you know, microelectronic companies and pharmaceutical companies. And for some reason, yeah, I still... I'm still involved in hospitals and highly specialized laboratory projects. So, yeah, that's how it all started. Our clients are predominantly builders and managing contractors. So, yeah, we work with them as well as, you know, consultants, you know, architects, electrical engineers, civil, etc., etc.
1: He describes the historic Polish town he grew up in. Near the Ukrainian border,
0: the place is called Zamość. Probably not many people can pronounce it, but it's it's a southeast corner of Poland, about 60 km to Ukrainian border. So, you know, it's a relatively small town, about 70,000 people, but it's got a it's got a a big history behind it. You know, it was established in 16th century, so lots of heritage building. You know, the the town center and and things like that so and it's in a beautiful region you know there's lots of um, touristy places national parks around it Um, yeah always enjoyed living and growing up in that city you know and going on some
1: trips with parents wow that's amazing have you been back there since
0: last time i think we went there in 2016 and yeah there was a plan to go there last year which obviously didn't happen due to you know the global pandemic uh, but yeah, we usually try to go back and see parents and family and everyone else every two, three years, if possible. I think Poland as a country gained quite a lot when it joined European Union in 2004. So every time we go there, and because it doesn't happen often, you know, every two, three years, you can actually see those changes, you know. And the first one is definitely the roads, you know, the infrastructure is just unbelievable. You know, like from my hometown to my wife's hometown it used to take me 12 hours to get there. Last time, it took nine because there's motorways now that you can travel at 140 k's an hour so which is great.
1: He expands on his childhood and how exploring with his dad led him to where he is today.
0: As a kid, I also lived with uh, grandparents, you know, it's a bit of a cultural thing, you know, people live, you know, with with the older people, you know, and yeah, I remember yeah, grandma and grandpa yeah, always being around, taking me to school and, you know, and teaching me things because parents were busy at, you know, at work. So after school, yeah, I used to spend a lot of time with, yeah, with grandfather, and, you know, unfortunately he passed away when I was eight years old, but I still remember it. So obviously it's, it's embedded in my brain, you know, and yeah. That was really enjoyable time, I guess. My mom, uh, she used to work as an admin in the local furniture factory, uh, but she didn't last there long. <laughs> and she, she just wanted to be, you know, working mom at home, you know, looking after the house and, and things like that. But my father, he worked for the local government um, as a land surveyor. So he worked in the in the town planning division, so as a kid, yeah, I used to, you know, used to help him a lot on the weekends, you know, we'll go somewhere in the countryside and, you know, do some site survey, or you know, land survey, you know. So I am across it, which is, you know, very helpful now because I know how the instruments work and, you know, all, all the technical things behind it. So, yeah, but yeah, he retired three years ago. And there was a time when I realized that I have to do something about my life too because I could see myself following his path completely like for work for 40 years and then just pray for retirement basically. So unfortunately, they didn't didn't save any money or anything like it so they purely rely on the government and it's not something I would like to do.
1: Boric's hands-on school taught him methods that he still uses in his work today.
0: The primary school and the secondary school, they were all in my hometown. And the, the secondary school was a five year term. And basically, because it's, it had a construction profile, once a week we had to work on the construction site. Obviously, you know, at that age, you can't do much, other than just, you know, other, other than just clean the site and, you know, basically get someone some stuff from the shops, you know. <laughs> but you kind of learn a lot because progressively uh, we were allowed to do more you know like doing paving or some basic concreting you know, or bricklay you know stuff like that so yeah which was really good because yeah some of the skills i picked up you know back 20 25 years ago yeah i, I still use it you know so yeah so, yeah, so that was uh, secondary school and then uh, my university was about 100 kilometers uh, north of my hometown. So, I had to relocate and that was a, a five-year yeah course.
1: Wow. When you said secondary school, that is equivalent to high school here? Is that what you mean?
0: That's correct. Yeah. yeah. It, it's almost like a TAFE here. It, it's a bit like a TAFE because you get that practical knowledge and, and theoretical knowledge. So, we had to learn about, you know, foundations, roof structures, you know, and and stuff like that. Obviously at a very basic level, not much in terms of calculations, but you had to have that knowledge. So as a building services engineer, I knew exactly, okay, before I can penetrate the slab, I actually need to check with structural engineer because there may be some still there that I don't want to damage. So it, it gives you a very good background and knowledge. You know, you really appreciate other services in the, in the building and construction industry. When you spend a day, a week on site, whether you want it or not, you will still pick up a few things, you know, even when they ask you to push a wool for eight hours a day, <laughs> you, you still get to see things, you know, and, and some silly things, you know, and yeah, there was lots of laughs, you know. And after I finished uni, after five years, I did come back to hometown, but only for about six months. And there was a time when I picked up a, a first job with the, with the hospital in, in town. But yeah, after six months they, they did offer me a permanent position. However, I didn't accept it. And there was a time when Poland joined European Union. So there was lots of young people already, you know, going west and 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 that was the same for me. I, I just wanted to go there and learn the language, you know, earn some money and potentially come back. So the plan was only for a year, but yeah, you know, fourteen years later we we're still traveling. <laughs>
1: Gives us some more background on the effects joining the European Union had on Poland.
0: So, Poland joined European Union in 2004 and I remember it was 30th of May. I remember that exactly because that was my birthday. And yeah, and two weeks later, yeah, I was already on a plane to, to Dublin. And so, I can't probably really comment much how it changed because I wasn't there when all the things happened. But talking to the you know family and friends who live there, they, they could definitely see you know the benefits of that you know major. well, I don't know what you call it a major, but you know even things like no borders, you know, very easy travel and, and, and things like that. You know And as I said before, the, the improvement in the road infrastructure and things like that was was definitely a plus, especially when you go to the, the western side of the country, which is close to German border um you won't even see the difference that you are in a different country, you know because the shops and everything is pretty much you know the same level so yeah that that, that was definitely uh, something that yeah was quite not so much shocking but definitely interesting and, and positive. You look at Europe and Poland surrounded by a few countries, not just one so yeah everywhere is a, is a border control and yeah. yeah. So Poland still has it, has it with the east, on the eastern border, you know, like Ukraine. Obviously, is not part of the European Union, so the border is still there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everything further west, yeah, there's no borders. And yeah, which is which is great when you travel, you don't have to stop. We used to travel quite a lot to Czech Republic and Slovakia, just with the group of friends, you know, over the the, the school holidays, um, and. Yeah, so that wasn't the first time. Yeah, before that, yeah, I'd been to Germany a couple of times. My um, father's friend lived there, so I used to go there for for school holidays and you know do some, you know, gardening or, or stuff like that. You know, just to earn some extra extra money. Uh, so I knew that pretty well. And before the poland John European Union, I actually went to UK with a group of friends just to visit some other friends that lived there already. But we had to go through that, you know, very strict process of yeah, password control and, and stuff like that. So I remember that very well. And that was interesting, you know, later on when we didn't have to do it, it was like, wow, you know, that's great, you know.
1: That is amazing to hear. And what about language? Was there any language barriers at all going through? Because I know I've been to Germany and most people over there speak German but also to speak English as well. But um, obviously, German has been the la- main language. So, when you're traveling outside of those countries, what was that like for you?
0: I tried to speak English whenever I could. Like I tried to learn German in at school but it just doesn't sink for me. I don't know. It's one of those languages that I... Difficulty to learn, and the same with French for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they were they were happy to talk English, you know, like most of the people do, and yeah, that wasn't really an issue. Dublin, we we spent almost a year there, uh, as I said. I work for Intel and Pfizer, you know, two big factories over there, uh, and at that time I couldn't really get a job in my profession. It, it was kind of close to my profession, but not to the, my full potential. And I didn't really like it, I, I felt like I was going backwards. And at that time, yeah, I made a decision to move to UK where we knew that, you know, people are a little bit more open to, you know, Eastern Europeans. And yeah, so about a year in Ireland and then two and a half years in, in UK, just no London.
1: after the break, we hear how Boric dealt with moving to Australia just as the GFC hit.
0: Then we moved to Australia, in you know, 2007, you know, the things were pretty smooth just before GFC and when the yeah, GFC hit, we bought the first house which we renovated as well and then sold it for the profit and we had a bit of a money on site so we thought yeah, maybe we'll just invest that money somewhere else.
1: He shares the magic ingredient at his Brisbane renovation that had the neighbors dropping by.
0: And the other good point about that property was a big shed so it had a 6 by 12 meter 72 square meter shed which the previous, yeah the previous owner used it for um, a home business like a, an auto repair business. So it's relatively tall too and we knew that okay, that would be a good selling point.
1: He delves into the story of another property he was part way through developing when COVID-19 came along.
0: After Brisbane went into lockdown, that was it, the phones just stopped calling at all. So we had to find a way okay, what what do we do about this property?
1: And that's next. I'm Taran Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Baruch met an Aussie from Cairns while he was working in the UK and this encounter turned friendship plus a quick renovation in London set him on his path.
0: We became really close friends and he was telling me about Australia, you know, about the life here and the, and the lifestyle generally and, you know, I managed to convince my partner at the time to just come here and visit for a year at least, you know, and yeah, 14 years later we're still here. but. Canada was the other country we wanted to visit. However, given you know the, the lifestyle we get here and the weather, I, I don't think it will ever happen. <laughs> I remember we were renting in North London, and we found a place which was a you know pretty dilapidated house, and and the price was pretty cheap for rent. And we just said to the to the owner that we'll just do a quick renovation and yeah, see if they're happy with that. And actually, they didn't see what we did to the property, and it was me and my partner at the time. And then when they came to visit about three months later, they were like, wow, you really transformed this place. But I was hoping at the time that they wouldn't increase our rent. (laughs) So, you know, but by doing this, you know, we're allowed to actually sublet some of the rooms. So overall, yeah, we live pretty cheaply, you know, in a a relatively expensive place in the world. So that was was my start of a journey. Then we moved to Australia, you know, 2007, you know, the things were pretty smooth just before GFC. And then, yeah, GFC hit. We bought the first house, which we renovated as well, and then sold it for the profit. And we had a bit of a money on site, so we thought yeah, maybe we'll just invest that money somewhere else. And we decided to buy a block of land in Poland at the time. And yeah, and my father used to work for the government at the time, so he managed to find, you know, cheap land, you know, off from the government that not many people knew about. So, you know, that's how you, you know, you buy cheap and make your money when you buy, basically. So so yeah, and that that basically yeah, there was another trigger, like, yeah, there's definitely money in the property, you know, when we, we bought another land here in Australia, we built a house and we did most of the work ourselves, uh, which obviously increased the value and we managed to pull out some equity. And then I used the service of the buyer's agent to buy a first investment property, which we still have. And again, this one was under the market value, needed a bit of a renovation, which we did, which obviously increased the, the rental yield. You know, we still have a tenant in place that is good and pays money every month, which is great. And then and that's how i realized hang on there's definitely money in a property you know it's one of those assets that never depreciates you know it always appreciates in value you know you can buy cars and everything else but
1: property doesn't depreciate.
0: exactly it's it's none of those things so yeah that's how i got you know into property basically started you know reading books and attending courses and jan obviously uh, with his Courses, yeah, kind of encouraged me to do a little bit more so I signed up to a, a 3-day 3D JV bootcamp and the advanced property formula um course and then yeah, 3 months later.
1: He purchased his first Australian house in 2009, renovated it in his spare time and sold it for a tidy profit. It was a
0: 3-bedroom house and um, original house built in the 90s. so. Everything had to be done, you know, like 20 years, you know, bathrooms, kitchens, it was not touched. So, and we didn't have kids at the time, so it was just the yeah, easy one. Uh, we could do it yeah, after work or, or whatever. So, and so, that was the first property and we lived there till 2013 and we sold it for a profit. Yeah.
1: A typical engineer, he has always been on the lookout for things to fix. And this house was one of them.
0: It was probably just me always looking for ways to improve things, and that could be me being an engineer. You know, we always tried to solve problems, and we thought, well, we've got that limited budget, and you know, we knew roughly where we wanted to live. We wanted to be close to the transport, you know, and so we could get to the city to work quickly. And with that limited budget, budget, we knew that we wouldn't be able to buy something that's already, well, ready to move in, but something that yeah you don't have to touch. So, yeah, we, we selected that property we, we knew we had to spend another 50-60 grand and
1: yeah, and that, that's, that's what
0: happened so yeah.
1: And whereabouts in, in Australia did you purchase that?
0: Well, Brisbane in 17 Mile Rocks which is on the western side of the CBD.
1: After that, you sold that property for a profit. How many years did you hold on to that property for?
0: Four years, yeah. We sold it in two thousand thirteen because at that time we had a first child and it was only three bedroom house. So we thought, yeah, probably it would be good to move to a bigger house uh, if we're planning for um, for the next child. So yeah, that that was the, the yeah that was the decision maker. So so yeah, but we, uh, next one we wanted to do something different, like yeah, build definitely build something. So yeah, we found a block block of land again in in same suburb, seventeen rocks. And yeah, we we selected a builder and you know, again, I tried to exclude as many things as I could so I could do the rest of the other things myself, you know.
1: His engineering and construction backgrounds came in handy yet again during the build. And other than one incident with a sparky, it went off without a hitch.
0: Actually we didn't have any issues with builder at all and that's probably partially me understanding the construction relatively well. So, you know, I could look at the drones. I knew exactly where the powered outlets need to be, you know, or the hot water system had to be on that side of the building, you know. So I know people sometimes struggle with things like that. And halfway through the construction, they realize, oh, no, we can't have it here. So I could already imagine that in my head where I want certain things. And, and as I said, we, we didn't really have many issues at all. If anything, nothing was only one um, incident with the... Sparky, the electrical guy where he didn't install the the outlet in the kitchen where we wanted it to be but he quoted us and it was pretty much a couple of days before the handover and the outlet was still not there and I said, well, like I can't accept it and I complained to the builder and I remember this guy was really upset that I complained about it to my builder. So, yeah, and, and I think that was only one incident, you know, he had to come back pretty much on the day of a practical completion and basically install it and I remember he did a lot of mess and he did it deliberately.
1: (laughs) Well, they've got to lose, you know. They they know that the project's finished, they're going to hand it over. I don't care, you know, just get it done.
0: (laughs) Well, that's right and he was happy, I'll give you money back. I was like, no, I don't want money back. I want my outlet to be installed. (laughs) And I think that's how the argument argument started but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he finished finished it and, yeah, we moved in a couple of days later, so.
1: During the build, he was also in the midst of purchasing a block of land in Poland.
0: It's in a touristy area so and it's partially commercial or residential so we know that if we hold on to it, it will just grow in value there. So that property has been fully paid off and yeah, we don't have anything owing on that one and it doesn't cost us much to maintain too so which is good.
1: Turning to his investment journey, Boric found a great opportunity with 80s fixer upper in Brisbane.
0: So then, yeah, we're building uh, this one. In 2018, uh, I actually engaged a um, buyer's agent to find us an investment property uh, in Brisbane. And they actually did actually a really good job because they managed to find a property you know that had a bit of a structural damage, but we used that as an opportunity to negotiate the, the price, you know, and we managed to negotiate 50 grand of that, which was a really good result. And again, it was an original house built in the eighties and needed a bit of a renovation, but not really massive. Like we didn't replace kitchens or anything like it, just painted the cabinets and bench tops, just really refreshed it. And bathroom, yeah, we basically retiled the entire bathroom. And that was it. And and, and that was a good opportunity for someone who wanted to live or rent the property to basically pay a little bit more because it was already refreshed and and relatively new. And when we compare with the other properties in the area, most of them were like original condition. And the other good point about that property was a a big shed. So it had a 6 by 12 meter, 72 square meter shed, which the previous, yeah, the previous owner used it for um, a home business, like an auto repair business. So it's relatively tall too, and we knew that, okay, that would be a good selling point. So when we're actually renovating, uh, some of the neighbors, you know, approached us like, oh, you know, could we rent this shed from you and things like that? Like, okay, well, we'll see how we go. You know, if we find a tenant that doesn't need it, yeah, more than happy. However, the the people we found, they actually moved from Darwin, and they had a lot of stuff with them, like boats and camper trailers and things like that. So... For them, it was just perfect. And they still live there because they've got a lot of stuff. So, so, yeah, so that was another property which we still have. Uh, and this one's positively cash flow, which is good. So it doesn't cost us much to maintain at all. And then another one, which is when I completely changed my mindset about property was the one I purchased last year. And it was after attending the, the Nyan's courses, you know, and seminars. So... We we set it up properly from day one, you know, set up a, a company, and yeah, followed all the all the you know steps, and yeah, we managed to secure it yeah reasonably cheaply, you know, through through some clever negotiations, and yeah, we we sold it four months later yeah, and made some good money on that one. This one started potentially as a as a development site because it was zoned as a medium density, so up to five stories. However, the block was a little bit smaller. I think in Brisbane it has to be minimum 800 square meters and this property was 772 from memory. So we're a few meters short. But when we basically signed the contract and during the settlement period, I already started looking for developers like, okay, well, would you be interested in building something big, etc.
1: And then COVID-19 came along and threw a spanner in the works.
0: After Brisbane went into lockdown, that was it. The phones just stopped calling at all. So we had to find a way. Okay, what, what do we do about this property? You know, we knew okay, well, it's some money spent. It's still pretty good. So you know, we have to find other exit strategies. And we actually decided to renovate it because initially we thought that property had to be demolished. There was a bit of a structural damage and termite damage, which we couldn't really, you know. Inspect much at the time because the property was going to auction anyway, and they were happy to accept our offer on uh, on the basis that it's basically auction auction conditions, so no building pests and finance and all, all the other things. But as we realized later, you know, after we removed the the asbestos sheet and that the damage actually wasn't that bad, and the, and the house was still repairable, um, which we did, you know. And then we basically did the Reno reasonably cheap. We realized we didn't have to do bathrooms, you know, they were pretty good, they just had to be cleaned up. And We replaced the kitchen, however managed to find a second-hand one reasonably cheaply. And yeah, we decided to put it on the market, see what happens. And that was around May, May last year. So, and yeah, after five weeks, the property went under contract, you know, for over 100k profits. We're thinking of potentially maybe extending their existing house and convert it to like a room in accommodation to get better yield because the property was in a really good location, like very close to a local shops and trains, etc. So we knew that there would definitely demand for, you know, for, for tenants. Uh, but we wanted to get a better yield. So we look at an option of maybe extending it, you know, adding extra two bedrooms or something like that. And, and the house was a Queensland, so they are relatively easy to convert or extend. Uh, however, the cost was reasonably high. So when I did the fees on that, it just didn't really stack up because we were a little bit too close to the rail line. Uh, and... You know, the amount of acoustic treatment required was just making it too expensive and not really worth it. So, yeah, so we took a risk and said, well, let's just renovate it as it is, do it really cosmetically, don't spend too much money and just see what happens. If we don't sell it, we'll just get the tenant in and and we'll see how we go, you know, later with... Probably right now we would have probably made even better money. Especially the, the early predictions, you know, were like 40 percent, you know, drop in prices. So, you know, when you see things like that you're you're really concerned, so <laughs>
1: Borek's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. We'll further discuss the changes of COVID-19 has brought into the property market.
0: Probably many people noticed that they actually stopped advertising the prices. It was just for sale because even agents couldn't put a price against it. They just let it let it run its way and see, you know, who's gonna pay the most.
1: He lets us in on his psychological secrets to success.
0: I think negotiations is probably one of those things, you know, once you discover, you know, what other side wants, you've got a huge advantage.
1: He shares how you can prepare for proper negotiations in day-to-day scenarios.
0: I had a period of time that I would go to a dealership and just try to get the best possible price on the car I could get and you get like 10%, 15%, you know, and if you think they are they are well trained but you apply some of those techniques and you can definitely negotiate the prices.
1: And that's next time on Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short six months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040.